Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hey guys, we're back. Um, I got a crap ton of feedback from last week's episode. All good. So I'm really, really pumped about that. That was kind of a last minute thing. Really glad that I did it because it sounds like it resonated with a lot of you guys. Um, I got one particular uh, piece of feedback that I want to share with all of you because it was some a woman that sent it to me and was like, please share this because I do think it's a really important message to get out. So she says that I just want to thank you again for this episode and your podcast in general. Your guidance has gotten me to such a better and more proactive place with my health, feeling more knowledgeable, in control, and more. Your new program sounds truly amazing. Congratulations. And FYI, if you didn't hear last week's podcast, I announced that I am launching a new program, God knows when, sometime in the next few months, but it's all about adrenals, thyroid, hormones. You'll get some functional testing. You'll get an individualized protocol, but within the context of group coaching. So if you're interested in that, head over to my website, sign up for the wait list. I'll also post that link in the show notes below. Um... She went on to say, I just wanted to thank you for an in-depth fasting episode as well. I intermittent fasted for just under eight weeks last spring, and in that short time period, it triggered old disordered eating habits. It plateaued my weight loss and caused some weight gain. Ahem. It triggered or exacerbated a thyroid issue. It completely made my cycle disappear for several months, and it caused fairly bad mood swings and anxiety. More women need to know about this thank you again. So hot damn, that's a lot of stuff. And people freak out when you speak negatively about intermittent fasting right now because they're like, but the research says it's so good for you. Listen, I know what the research says. I'm balls deep in the research all day. I have nothing against intermittent fasting, nor do I discredit or ignore the research done on fasting. So let's be clear with that. What I have a problem with is the droves of women forcing themselves to fast while feeling terrible because they think that's what they should be doing in order to maintain health or in order to achieve health because that's what the quote unquote research says. We can't just look at the research. You can't just talk about theory. You also have to say, hey, how is this playing out in actual female bodies? We have to listen to women. We have to validate their experience in their own bodies. If someone says intermittent fasting doesn't work for me, I'm not going to turn around and say, well, but the research says it should be so good for you. So why don't you just do it more? Try it harder. Furthermore, I just want to put this out there in case anyone's listening who is fasting. If you're fasting, 
and you're experiencing some of the things that I talked about on last week's show or some of the things that this listener mentioned, you have to be willing to admit that fasting isn't actually working for your body right now. And if you are unwilling or unable to see that, that's actually a bigger problem. And we're going to try to unpack that a little bit on today's show. Now, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the fallout of restrictive eating. And restrictive eating can look like fasting or it can look like something else. But we talk about adrenal problems that come up, hormonal imbalance, fertility issues, thyroid problems, mental health, hair loss. We've talked about it all on the show before. And I, I think a lot of people listen and they think, okay, here's where I am right now with restrictive eating or caught up in the diet cycle. And that's where I want to go, like freedom from diet culture, freedom from over-exercise. But how do I get there? Um, and I feel like this podcast is a lot of, hey, jump in, the water's warm, or like, come over to the dark side. But in working individually with clients, I see how hard it is for some folks to make that shift. So that's what we're going to address on today's show. I've got a guest here, Jessica Kristen. She is a Denver-based nutrition therapy practitioner, and she's also a women's health coach. And we're going to dive into all of this. Jessica has some personal experience with restricted eating and over-exercise, and that led to a whole host of health problems. So Jessica, welcome to the show. I would absolutely love to hear more about your backstory because I think a lot of women that are listening can relate to what you have to say. Yeah, Erin, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And amen to everything you said in the intro there because it's so true. Uh, Women just need to start to really listen to their bodies and the signals and everyone is so different and you can't just jump on something because it's the next fad. Like you have to really be aware of how it's impacting your body. So I'm really glad that you're educating women and, you know, supporting women in that, in that area. My story is, you know, I always, it's always funny. I always say it a little bit differently and always say that I'll, I'll make a long story somewhat short if that's possible. I think we all have our, our stories here. So yeah, I um, live in Denver. I'm from Boston originally. So grew up outside of Boston and my story starts from a really young age. I, I can just remember from very, very young, I'm talking like, you know, second, third grade, just comparing myself to other people, you know, mostly other girls, whether it's, oh, I want that hairstyle, or I want that piece of clothing, or I should look this way or that way. And to be honest, I don't really know where it stemmed from. I think it's more just, you know, society standards that get placed on us. I have a really loving family. My parents were together. I have a great younger little sister. So it was nothing in that realm that really had a negative impact on me. We did move um, when I was about 10 years old. Up until then, I'd actually been in private Montessori schools. And we moved to a new town, and I went into the public school system. And in the private Montessori schools, I was really lucky to be surrounded by a lot of different cultures and people and just different types of families and things of that nature. When I moved to Bedford, which is the town I grew up in after that, It was just a very white suburban town and people were very much more aware of more materialistic things. The brands that you were wearing, you know, the clothing, you know, playing soccer, you had to be really good at soccer to like fit into the community. So I really think that was a big turning point for me in terms of feeling super uncomfortable in my own skin. And that comparison trap just got even bigger once I moved to that town. And I just did 
everything I possibly could to fit in. You know, I started playing soccer, even though I really didn't like it. I remember like dreading going to the games, like putting on those shin guards. Like I hated all of it and I really wasn't very good at it, but I just was doing everything I possibly could to fit in. And so this started from a really young age and in high school, I was aware of my body. Um, I think another thing that feeds into this is I look back and I really, I didn't respect my body and I really used my body more as like a sex object in some scenarios, like to get attention from boys because I thought that's what you were supposed to do and things like that just all throughout high school. So I was always very much aware of my body. In high school, I did play sports. I was really active. I remember, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym and like eating lean cuisines <laughs> to try to quote unquote stay thin. But I wasn't super hyper focused on necessarily losing weight in high school. And then move into college, and that's when I got super aware of my body. I gained some weight, as everyone does. You know, I did a lot of drinking and a lot of partying and wasn't really taking care of my body nutritionally. <clears throat> so I did, like, those crazy detox cleanses where you drink juice for a week. God knows what was in them. I took, like, crazy pills before going to the gym. I mean, I literally tried every single thing I possibly could to make myself smaller. And in college, it just, you know, it really continued with this. I jumped around from friend group to friend group. I really just remember never feeling comfortable in my in my own skin, really not knowing who I was. You know, it's like I wanted to be in a sorority, but I wasn't. So I hung out with the sorority girls and tried to dress like them and act like them. And it was just so much of really everything, every decision I made and everything I did was to try to change myself. And that lasted for a really long time. And post-college, uh, my goal after that was simply to lose the weight. I just wanted to lose the college weight. That was all I was really wanting to do at that point in my life. So that's when I started really dieting. I got into Weight Watchers. I tried Atkins. I did low sugar. I did low carb. I pretty much tried anything that I could read up on, on you know, how to lose weight. And in that time, though, I also started running. And I was actually really good at it, which for me, it was kind of the first time in my life that I was really good at something that was more athletic. So I mentioned, you know, I had played a little bit of soccer in high school and I worked out in college, but I was never really, really good at anything around like sports and being athletic. And I was naturally just very good at running. So that was really a different feeling for me. I felt really accomplished and I did really enjoy it when I first started and it was a good stress relief for me and everything was just really positive around that. And I did lose a lot of weight um, because I started running a lot and I lost weight pretty quickly and people started commenting on that and asking what I was doing, saying that I looked great, you know, and I, I really fed off of that. And so I wanted to run more and I wanted to lose more weight and get thinner. You know, I really just wanted to feed into all of that. Um, the compliments and things that I was getting from people. Now, during this time, I did also start to learn a little bit more about how to fuel my body in terms of nutrition. So I stopped doing like low fat and low sugar. I stopped putting Splenda in my coffee. I stopped doing a lot of the things that were now I know doing a lot of harm to my body. But I still, looking back, knowing what I know now, I still was not fueling my body properly. Now, over the span of a couple of years, I continued to run. I wasn't really 
restricting my food at mu as much at that time. But again, I just didn't have the knowledge as to how to fuel my body properly. And then I also during that time got certified to teach spin. So in addition to running, I was doing spin classes and I was doing power yoga. And slowly over time, it really turned into an addiction where I would get literally have anxiety if I couldn't get my run in. So if I was going away for the weekend, I would wake up at like four or five in the morning, you know, to run before I was leaving for the weekend or cancel social plans if it meant I couldn't get my workout in. And then when that started happening, I then started developing a really poor relationship with food. So if I was going out and having a drink or eating dessert, I would have to run a certain amount of miles in order to allow myself to do that. And if I didn't, then I like wouldn't have that food. So during all this time, I was actually teaching um, special ed, and I decided that teaching wasn't for me, and I really wanted to pursue something in more of the health and fitness world, because the other funny thing is at this time, even though I developed this poor relationship with food and I was pretty much addicted to running, I hadn't um, come to terms with that. And everyone in my life viewed me as like the quote unquote fit, healthy friend. And that's what I fed off of, and that's what I tied my entire identity to, and that's what I thought I was. I mean, I thought that being fit and healthy was doing what I was doing. I thought I was doing the right thing. Well, then I left teaching and I got my health coach certification through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. And shortly after that, I got hired to be an associate nutritionist at a private holistic health practice um, back in my hometown. And I was under the head nutritionist there who was a girl I went to high school with. And she is the one that really educated me on hormones and blood sugar and the importance of gut health. And I really learned macros, like what is protein? What is healthy fat? You know, what are carbs? Up until this point, I was also um, a vegetarian for a period of time. I didn't eat red meat for a very long time. So I learned like the importance of having high quality meats in my diet. And this is also around the time that my health started to deteriorate. For me, one of the first things was my hair. Uh, my hair started thinning to the point where I would look in the mirror and just cry every day. I was so self-conscious and I didn't know what was going on. So my hair started falling out. So through this education and working and doing this holistic nutrition, I did recognize that I was overdoing it. And I realized I needed to back off the exercise and probably eat a little bit more. So I did that a little bit. <laughs> you know, I ran a little bit less. I ate a little bit more. But when I was running less, I also just started adding in different things. So if I wasn't running, I did the power yoga or I did the spin. So all in all, I really wasn't reducing my exercise like overall. And after that, I was there for about a year and a half. And then that's when I decided to move out to Denver. I was just honestly in a really bad place. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was single and trying to date and like kept attracting the wrong men and relationships weren't going well. Financially, I wasn't really stable. I was living at home. I just was in a huge rut like all, all around. So I moved out to Denver and just needed a change. And when I first moved out here, um, I developed more health issues. So this is when I started having really serious gut problems. I was bloating all of the time, didn't know what was going on. My sleep was really deteriorating. So I actually worked for a period of time with another NTP, nutrition therapy practitioner, and she pretty much said, Jess, like, you need to stop running. You need to stop working out. You need to slow down. You need to eat more food. And I heard her. And again, I made some small changes, but still not to the extent that I needed to. Because at that point, I just, I was still a size zero. I was still quote unquote skinny. So to me, that mattered more looking back, which is sad, <laughs> than my overall health. 
And so, yeah, I was in Denver. I did some of the things she told me to do. Was feeling a little bit better, but still not totally myself. Um, I started then working at a software company, and I just went through some really big stressors while I was there. I was in a toxic living situation. I was in a relationship that ended, and we worked together, and I still had to work with him. And I was still really pushing my body more than I should have been. And yeah, then all of a sudden I gained like 20 pounds in the course of six months. And I will say like I did need to gain some weight just to get my period back and be healthy again. Um, And that's another thing I forgot to mention. I stopped taking birth control and I lost my period for over two years. Um, But at this point I had gained, you know, gained a little bit of weight in it. But this was all of a sudden like out of nowhere. And nothing I did would change it. The bloating got worse. My sleep got worse. Everything was just going totally downhill. So I did some tests, found out I had severe adrenal fatigue. Um, My thyroid was totally jacked up. Uh, I had a parasite that I discovered a couple months after that. And that was the period where I I just had a wake up call. And I realized what I was doing wasn't working. It wasn't sustainable. I felt like shit, like mentally, physically, emotionally, like everything. And I just took a serious step back. And that was finally when I realized I had to start making decisions around being healthy and not around being skinny. And I had to make decisions that were going to support my body and listen to my body rather than fight against my body, which I had been doing pretty much every single day for almost my entire life. So that's what I did. I um, I took a huge step back. I stopped running altogether for a period of time. I'm really focused on more restorative walking and yoga. Um, I supported my adrenals with different protocols, you know, meditation. That's another huge piece for me is I don't handle stress well, and I know that about myself. So I had to really find some tools to help me to handle daily stress because I I just knew that it was also, you know, deteriorating my health long term. And so I had some stress tools that I put in place, meditating, journaling, you know, setting intentions, and just doing a lot of inner work on myself while I also started eating more food, um, working out less. And eventually I got my period back and my sleep started to come around. My gut health started to improve. And now I'm, I overall feel really good. I still have some lingering gut issues that I'm working on. And I will say, you know, there are times where I know I'm pushing myself too hard and I can feel like my adrenals starting to burn out and things starting to go awry. But I now have that connection with my body that I can take that step back and put the tools in place to, to get out of that place at this point. Okay. Awesome. Um, that's a lot. So I, I want, there's a couple of things that I want to point out. One is that, I mean, at the very start of your story, you were talking about how it wasn't so much your family that necessarily um, triggered this this behavior in you, and I, it was more so society standards. And I want to point that out because I think that I know I think about my own mom. She's like, "Where did I go wrong? What did I do?" Because I d- dealt with eating disorders for 15 years, and there's nothing that she did. And I think we just have to showcase a little bit of mercy for the moms. It's not always a situation of you know. Sometimes it is where mom had real clear issues with with her own body and with eating and with exercise and obviously you know kiddos can see that behavior but it's not always as straightforward as that so we have to have some mercy for the moms let's blame the society and not place blame on the moms first things first um 
and I, you also had said that you hadn't come to terms with, so like you, you, you were doing some dysfunctional behaviors, but you didn't, weren't even able to see that you hadn't come to terms with that yet. And again, that really speaks to how widely accepted in society, these really dysfunctional behaviors are. We don't even notice that we're doing them because we think it's the norm because we look to our left and we look to our right and we're like, Everybody else is doing it, right? I should be doing this too. And I always say that my eating disorders went under the radar for so long for that exact reason. People were like, oh, Aaron's just a health nut. Aaron's just being healthy. They didn't realize that there was it was steeped in so much dysfunction. Um, I thought it was interesting that you were talking about after college. I think there's different times in our lives where our eating behaviors can be become triggered almost and college weight gain you know, you were talking about like after you graduated college, you're like, I just have to lose the weight. But I also think that post-college, like right when you first graduate is such a period of like, we just don't really have a whole lot of control over our lives at that point. We're like, okay, I just did this big hard thing. And now I don't know what the next step is. And it's really scary. And I think these moments are, can be triggers. And I think it has a lot to do with a sense of control or a lack of control. I remember, um, I was being interviewed about a year ago for a mindful eating summit and the interviewer asked if you start to feel old habits or patterns return she's talking about eating disorder behavior how do you control that that's how she phrased the question and i was like i don't i don't try to control that trying to control my food and trying to control my body was the ticket in that's what got me into the mess in the first place and the ticket in is not the ticket out and that's such an important point to drive home because I think so many women spend their lives trying to use the same tools and they keep getting the same results. It's like we're stuck in this hamster wheel saying, well, just one last diet, this will be the one to fix me, right? And dieting is never going to be the tool that makes everything better. The way to fix disorder is not through more restriction. It will never work. And I think what we really need collectively is more tools. Um, I think what you said, your ability to assess yourself and say, hey, I don't handle stress well. I know that about myself. So I'm going to put a ton of resources at my disposal to make sure that my body isn't in a stress response. When I start to feel stress pop up, I know, uh uh-oh, I got to really support myself in a lot of ways, which I think is a huge, a huge thing to note. Um, So gaining weight, even if it's necessary weight, I feel like that can trigger that loss of control feeling. So if somebody starts to go on a health journey and they start to gain weight, they're like, oh boy, my body's out of control again. So what advice would you have for somebody who is might be experiencing that loss loss of control over body because it sounds like, you know, you had to make some really significant shifts. You had a practitioner tell you like stop working out and start eating more. So you clearly had to change a lot of things. Um, but what tools did you add to your toolbox and what are other tools that people could implement if they are feeling that loss of control over themselves or their bodies? Yeah. And I just love everything you just said. You put it so, so eloquently just in terms of society and um, control. You know, so many women are just trying to control everything and are that, in addition to that, that type A, like go, go, go personality, so much pressure on yourself all the time. And, you know, that is a huge part of why these, I think, behaviors start in the first place truly is that, you know, control, feeling out of control. So yeah, tools are 
so important. Um, one thing I will say about tools though, is I, I do see now a lot of women as well, just reaching for all the fixes. So, you know, they'll be like, oh, but I'm, I'm meditating and I'm doing acupuncture and I'm doing X, Y, and Z, but I still feel exhausted and I'm still stressed out and I'm still, so there's this idea of, you know, yes, there's these tools and I'll talk about some of the ones that I have implemented, but you also have to be utilizing them in the right way and like really embracing them and not just kind of surface level, like, oh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this and doing it in that again, like almost controlling way. So really like letting go of control is a big, big part of this. And that's really, really hard. I think the first step is admitting and talking about it. Um, so for me, I actually wrote a blog post just opening up about the behaviors that I had and for so and for so long. And I, you know, for me, I, sh I shared it just on, you know, Facebook and social media. I know for some people that might not be comfortable, but even just telling one person like, hey, this is what I've been going through and this is what's happening. Because what I will say is no matter how many tools you're given, if you don't have support, because you will revert, revert back to those habits like we just talked about, so you have to have a support system in place. Like you have to have someone to talk to, whether it's a friend or um, a practitioner or a you know family member, whatever it is. So for me, just talking about it was really the first step. And then it came down to just this realization of how much I really disrespected my body for so long. Like I thought about what everything my body was going through and realized that rather than like listening to it and listening to the signals that it was sending me, because that's another amazing thing is your body is so smart and it's literally sending you signals and messages every single day. And I was just like, wow, I've, I've just been beating my body up, ignoring my body when in reality, it's doing everything that it's supposed to be doing because I'm sending it all the wrong signals. So for me, really learning about, you know, about your adrenals and about how stress impacts your adrenals and understanding that stress isn't, the exercise rather, is a stress on your body. And yes, it can be a good stress and a positive stress, but it can also be a negative one. So giving myself that education and really like learning about that and how that impacts hormones was really helpful for me just to, you know, have that understanding like kind of this more science background and then the other big one was just focusing on my health over my body right so I just wanted to be healthy so I started you know journaling and tracking things like what was my energy like today what was my sleep like last night um, how is my digestion you know am I getting my period what is my cycle like and starting to just focus on these all of these other areas of our health that are so much more important than the aesthetics and the other thing I will say in this situation is when you when you're focusing on health over aesthetics, your body eventually is going to naturally find the place that it wants to be. And you should never have to kill yourself and run yourself in the ground to get there. Like having a body that you feel good and confident in should not mean killing yourself and wanting to die after your workout and restricting food and working out six to seven days a week. You know, when you're focusing on that health over your aesthetics, that's when you're going to get the results in all areas, like physically included. It might take some time, you know, physically, but it's so worth it because then you find this balance that you can then maintain. And then, like I said, when you start to feel yourself go out, so tools I use now for myself, if I know I'm going through a more stressful time, um, like starting this business has been, you know, I, I started this business full time back in October and I know that I had more stress on my plate. So I really focused on 
you know, doing more walking, uh, focusing more on strength training. Um, I haven't really done cardio much in the last like four to five months because I'm trying to keep that heart rate down and keep my cortisol levels down. If I know that I'm going through more stress, I'll add in, you know, herbs to support my adrenals, things like ashwagandha and rhodiola, maybe cut the caffeine for a few weeks. So it's really this place of knowing that change is okay. And this comes back to the control thing. It's like, oh, I have to go to spin on Tuesdays and I have to go to this on Wednesdays and controlling everything. When in reality, like everything's going to change. You know, your body changes, your exercise changes, your nutrition changes, and that's totally okay. I don't know where we got to this point where we thought that doing the same thing over and over would be, you know, would be long-term last. Like we said, you know, we do the same thing and expect different results. So those are some of, I think, the big ones for me. And then also just a daily meditation practice. And I think meditation nowadays, again, it's kind of like, oh yeah, I meditate. (laughs) But I think a lot of people are meditating because again, it's the next thing that they think they need to do to feel good and feel healthy. So I really support like finding a practice of meditation that, that works for you, that feels good for you. That's like part of your routine and is a point where you can really be by yourself like disconnect yourself from your phone, like be with your thoughts, be with your breath. Because especially as women, I think we're afraid to be alone and afraid to be alone with our thoughts because that's when some scary things come up. But facing those scary things is the only way to move forward. You know, changing food and exercise is pretty easy in the big scheme of things, but really coming back to like realizing that a lot of what you're going through are limiting beliefs that you have in your own head and that you have control over and that you can change if you put in the effort and work to do it. That's the scary part and that's the harder part because it does require that loss of control. Okay. I was just like furiously writing notes down when you were talking. Um, I think that is so spot on with the control piece like exercise is such a way to stay busy and if you for some of us you know for like some of the the type a's we we all have ways that we fill up our time to stay busy and i think a lot of us we do this because we're so afraid to just sit still because of the thoughts that come up or the emotions that come up or the experiences that come up within us and what i try to encourage people to do is sit with that stuff as it comes up journal about that stuff like that's the real that's the real stuff like look under the hood um it might require working with a therapist or working with somebody to to get you through that but like that is the goal that is not something to ignore like that's the that's the real stuff coming up um and it's interesting you mentioned time cuz I'll I'll get that a lot if if like if somebody has severe adrenal issues and I give the same advice that you know you once got which is hey you got to lay off the exercise particularly if there's like high intensity stuff involved um and we need to eat more I mean you're not going to heal if you're if you're continuing to do this and then the next question is like well okay but like how long how long till I feel better and I'm like you know if you've if these patterns have been established for 20, 30, 40 years, it's not going to happen in overnight. It might not happen in a month. It might not happen in two months. But I think it's just one more way that we try to control the situation by saying, okay, I'll give myself 30 days of this. And if it doesn't work, then I'm going to bail, right? I feel like there's there's just a lot of control that comes into that. Um, and I also want to say, and you kind of touched upon this, um, but if you if you gain weight eating the appropriate amount of food if you gain weight doing the things that your body really needs to support itself if you if if gaining weight is a product of that 
that might mean you needed to gain weight. And I, I don't know how else to say that because it's a, it's can feel like a real blow when people hear that. Um, and I, you know, you were talking about being under stress and I'm, I'm also somebody that does not deal with stress well. And, and I'm going through a period of stress right now. I actually just tested my hormones because I'm like, how, how much stress am I actually under? I want to see the data. Um, so I'm doing a lot of the same the same stuff as you in, in terms of like walking and more yoga and all that kind of that kind of stuff so as not to further tax my body a lot of what i talked about in last week's episode actually um but part of the stress honestly is i'm experiencing burnout i have been talking about this stuff for over eight years now and i am getting really tired of trying to convince women to stop starving themselves i'm getting i feel bone tired i feel like I want to cry sometimes because I'm like, how how am I still saying this? And of course, it's it's necessary work. And I know that my message lands with a lot of people and that makes me feel great. But I'm also like, still, I'm still saying the same thing. Please eat more than 1,200 calories a day. Please eat more than 1,400 calories a day. I just feel like I'm a broken record sometimes. But Anyway, um, one thing you had mentioned was this whole concept of identity. And this is what I really want to dig into because if somebody associates their entire identity with looking a certain way, like you had said, you had sort of become known as like the fit, thin, healthy girl, right? And that was your your identity. You tied your whole self into that. Maybe even some of your your worth was was tied up in that. And if that is taken away from you, well, holy shit, that's scary. I think a lot of women associate their entire identity with looking a certain way and letting go of that can truly feel like an annihilation. Like, who am I without this? So I'd love for you to talk about how you personally got through some of that um, or even some practical steps that people can work through. Because I, I, that's a big thing for people. Like, if they start to gain weight, they're like, well, there goes you know, who the, the person that I thought I was. How do you cope with that? Yeah. And uh, I, I so echo you on, yeah, the the women that you talk to and say the message and, and you know they're not listening. But you know what? I think it's still just so important to get the message out there. And the more we repeat it and the more people hear it and the more they hear our stories, the more they'll understand it. But really, too, you know, unfortunately, you have to be ready to make these changes too. Like me and you and practitioners, like we can't do it for you. And I talk to my clients about that all the time when they are making great progress and they'll thank me. And I'll honestly say to them, you know what? I, I'm i not really doing anything. I'm giving you the support and like some tools and knowledge that you need, but like you're doing the work. So I really want to send that message is that you, you have to get to that place for yourself. You have to want this for yourself. You have to love yourself enough to really do this for yourself. And that comes back to how do you deal with this, you know, identity crisis? And I really, really struggled with this. I mean, running was my life for three, four years. And then it finally was the thing that was truly making me sick. And I had to, like I said, stop it altogether. You know, it's interesting because you also mentioned how, you know, working out, especially for our type A personalities is a way for us to, you know, just spend that time, you know, rush from one place to another. So not working out left me with a whole lot of time. <laughs> so to be able to slow down a little bit and reflect on, yeah, like who, who was I? For me, the blogging really helped. Um, I continued, I did like a 30 day, what I called self-love journey and I blogged um, weekly just about 
how I was spending my time and, you know, what I was doing for movement that was so different from what I was doing before and how I was feeling. So I, I'm, I'm a person where I just, I love communication and connection and I really feed off of supporting other people, you know, with what I'm going through. And during that time, I got so much response that that's when I realized like, oh my God, I, what am I doing? Like working at a software company. I mean, the company was great. I love the people there, but that's really when it opened me up to this is what really fills me up. Being able to connect with people and share my story and help women who are struggling with this. So that was a big piece for me was, you know, identifying myself as kind of, you know, like a healer and an educator and someone who that could, you know, connect and help other people. So that was really big for me. I also focused on my relationships too and my friendships. You know, a lot of during that period of, you know, over-exercising and under-eating, a lot of my life was just, you know, going out and drinking on the weekends and, you know, then going to work on Monday and then, you know, having the workouts and just having this very kind of routine life. So I really started to reach for friendships and relationships for people that had things that they loved doing outside of workouts and outside of, you know, just going out for drinks on Saturday night. People that were trying to better themselves, you know, maybe create their own businesses, you know, had really intentional, you know, meditation and mindfulness practices practices, and people that I could really connect with on a deeper level. So that was another one that really um, resonated and, and helped me get through that period of time. I think those were the big ones for me, but I will mention you know, I have a lot of clients that go through this as well. Um, and many of them go back to hobbies that they gave up. I have a client who started doing pottery, you know, she hadn't done pottery in 10 years. And she was one that was going to CrossFit six to seven days a week. And just that was her life. Everything CrossFit was her entire life. She started going to pottery. And then I have another client that went to a yoga class at her local library and started, you know, she said she was surrounded by people of different ages and genders and ethnicities. And it was such a cool experience for her to, again, meet people like outside of the gym and outside of the people that she was surrounding herself with and just really realizing that there's so much more out there and there's so much more meaning to life than just working out six to seven days a week and trying to stay quote unquote skinny. And there's, you know, we could both agree about this because I'm sure we're both involved in some fitness communities ourselves. There's nothing wrong with those communities. It's just that when that becomes your whole, your whole being, your whole identity, um, at the risk of your health or at the sake of your health, that needs to be evaluated. Um, So I I really do love those ideas. It's kind of speaking to this idea that, you know, you have to look outside just the food, just the the fitness. Um, One thing that I want to really highlight is what you said about we can't do it for you. You have to love yourself enough to want to do this for yourself. I could not agree more. It's it's a big thing that I try to get across to a lot of um, my audience is that like nobody can swoop in and do this work for you. I've been using this analogy lately and it's probably lost on a lot of people, but <laughs> it's like if you see this episode, you'll know what I'm talking about. The Marie Kondo show on Netflix, there was one episode where the mom did not want to do this. She's like not on board and the husband was like, yeah, we got to do this. And so Marie comes in and they're in their garage, which is just like packed to the gills with stuff. And the mom's like, all right, Marie, I'm ready for you to do your magic. And the look of horror that came over Marie's face, I was like, oh my God, I know that feeling because (laughs) she was basically just was like, I can't, I don't do magic. Like I don't, you do the work. Like I just come in and provide you with some tools 
and then you do the, the actual heavy lifting. And um, I just think that that's exactly true for, for the work that you and I are doing. It's like, you know, I can be an advocate for you. I can be an ambassador. I can uh, be a liaison. I can give you the tools. I can give you my expert um, bird's eye view. But at the end of the day, it's you're the one doing the work. And I think that can be a scary thought, but also an extraordinarily empowering thought. Like, hey, I get to do this. Like, I have the power to do this. So thank you for pointing that out. Um, you, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here because I've been noticing on Instagram, you've been talking more about dating. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. What does a nutritionist have to say about dating? Like what's the connection there? But I loved it because, um, you know, I, I think some people might question, well, what the hell does dating and relationships have to do with food? Because I think so many people that come to us probably think, hey, I want to work on my relationship with food, right? We always try to fix the food piece. If we do acknowledge that, hey, there's some dysfunction here that I need to get over, we want to fix the food piece. We're like, what's the the, the right diet? Help me with the food piece. And usually, I would say probably nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, it's not that you have an unhealthy relationship with food. You have an unhealthy relationship with yourself or you have an unhealthy relationship with life or you have an unhealthy relationship with other people. Maybe you have an unhealthy relationship in your life that needs to be addressed. And so I'd love to hear your take on why you think dating and relationships fit into this whole health and wellness and nutrition piece. Yes, I'm so glad you asked this question because I have been talking about it quite a bit. Um, before I dive into that, I did just want to make one more comment about just like the weight gain piece. And that is I look back now at pictures of when I was running and like pictures of now when I actually have like muscle and a body and I don't even want to look like I did when I was running. So that's something interesting too is really embracing like that femininity and like you know, women are supposed to have an ass and have some hips and like have some curves. So that's another thing I would really invite some women struggling with this is to really embrace that and know that that is a sign of being healthy um, and a sign of being fertile and it's super sexy. So I just want to throw that in there. Um, I also want to point out because I know abs, like visible abs are quite coveted and I have, I've said this before on Instagram and people lost their damn minds, but for me, in order for me to get visible abs, I have to get to such a low body weight and such a low body fat percentage that I lose my period. So, and that is the case for a lot of women. And I feel like you could probably back that up, but I just want to throw that out there. And it's not to say one body type is better than another one. Some people are naturally small. Some people are naturally larger, whatever. It's all good. But if you're forcing yourself to look a certain way or look a certain aesthetic at the expense of your health, hey, that's that needs to be addressed in a major way. And I do think that embracing some of our more feminine traits can be, can be one of the tools to to start to feel okay with some necessary weight gain. So thank you for saying that. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, so the relationships and dating. So this is one that, you know, it, I started talking about it because I was really reflecting on my, you know, my, my whole story. And throughout high school and college and like my, you know, early, late 20s, I definitely had some long-term relationships looking back 
they were pretty toxic relationships. I felt um, at times unattractive, um, unsupported, um, unloved, insecure, just all of these super negative feelings. Yet I stayed in a lot of them for a really long time and would almost blame myself. Like, oh, if I just do this, he'll love me more. Or if I just do this, he'll be more attracted to me. Or if I just do this, like things will change. And oh, I'm just like recently just came to this realization of how incredibly dysfunctional and terrible it is for anyone, anyone, A, to be in a relationship that makes you feel that way and B, to be in a position where you think you have to convince somebody to feel a certain way about you. Like you should never have to convince someone to love you or be attracted to you or care for you or support you or want to spend time with you. It's crazy. And so I read this book called You Are Enough by Mandy Hale um, a couple months ago and she talks a lot about some of these points and they were things that I was already kind of realizing in my own life. And I just realized like, wow, this is all connected. You know, for so many years, all I wanted to do was change my body. And so I restricted food and I exercised to do that. And that was the only thing I cared about. So clearly I didn't have respect for my body. So how could I expect to attract a relationship that where someone respected me and loved me and supported who I was when I didn't even know who I was and I didn't respect myself? And not only that, not only are you more likely to start attracting those relationships once you're in them, you're very likely to stay in them because of that. And so I've just been realizing this connection around that. And then I just feel a lot of women, you know, a lot of single women, especially who are a little bit older, like I'm turning 35 next month, develop this really negative idea around dating. You know, it's uh, all first dates are bad. I'm sick of it. It's exhausting. And dating is just like anything else. Like we create that reality and then we prove it to be true. And so if you're walking around with all of these crazy negative limiting beliefs about dating, well, of course you're going to not be attracting the right people because you're going with this energy that's incredibly negative. So that's what you're going to end up attracting. And then on the other side of that is, you know, again, if you're not, if you're not, if you don't truly know who you are, know what you want and need and love yourself, you're probably not going to be fueling yourself with the right food. And you're probably not going to be new, doing movements that really nourish your body and make you feel really good. And so if you're not in a good place, then even if you are going out and trying to date, again, like how can you attract that right person, that right relationship when you have this negative view around dating, you have this negative view around yourself, and you probably don't even feel good enough about yourself to even want to. Like you're doing it because you're forcing it. So it's just this kind of circle that I've that I've realized that it really truly all comes together. And when you finally realize and who you are, love and respect that person, and then figure out what your needs are in dating too. I feel like so many people go out to and they're like dating just to date and they don't even know what they're looking for. Like have you ever sat down and literally thought like what does this what does my relationship look like? Like what does my partner look like? Like, what is their morning routine? What is their occupation? Like, do they want kids? Do they want to travel? And just getting super, super clear about what you want and then realizing that, like, you deserve that. So I hope that answered the question. But that's sort of where I'm going with all of this because I really feel strongly that it is all very much related. When you love and respect yourself, you're fueling yourself with the right foods, you're fueling yourself with the right movement, and you know what your needs are and you're not you don't feel guilty around expressing those needs. You're like, no, these are my needs and then I want them to be met and I feel good about that. And yeah, just going in feeling really empowered and excited rather than ending up in these situations where you feel insecure and, and less than. Well, I think you pose a really huge 
uh, question, which is what do I want? And now regardless if somebody's dating, listening to this or not, if they're single or not, that is a question that we could all stand to ask ourselves that we don't really do that often. I mean, I pose that to to women often. What do you want? And they just, they just like their jaw hits the floor and they turn their head sideways. Like, what do you mean? That's not a question that we have historically asked ourselves. We're like, okay, what should what should I do? What do I have to do? You know, like, what do I do to keep the peace? What do I do to make other people comfortable? What do I do to be more palatable to other people? But we never really say like, hey, what? do I want? And that can extend out to so many different things. Relationship with a lover, relationships with friends, um, how we eat. When like some people will be like, can I eat this? And I'm like, do you like it? Like, what do you like to eat? Do you, have you ever stopped to actually ask yourself that? So I think that is, you really t- t- touched upon a much bigger, um, a much bigger topic there. And it's really about like checking in with ourselves and being like, what who am I? What do I want to do? You know, which is major. I will say that, um, this isn't a story that I tell a lot and I don't even know if I've ever said on the podcast before, but when I was in the, you know, my eating disorder went on for a long time and it spiked after college. Same thing that you, I was talking about earlier with just like total loss of control. What does my life look like? Oh my God. So I had a lot, like a big spike in behaviors after that. And uh, it wasn't until a lot of things happened, um, but one of them was I had to really look at my life. I took the focus off of food. So I stopped trying to make my life better by making my body look different. That, that was like the first time in my life I had done that. And when I took the focus off of the food, all of this energy freed up for me to like spin on my heels and look at different areas of my life. And one of the things that I noticed was like, oh my God, I'm in a relationship that I I shouldn't be in. And I say that with so much freaking love and respect because the relationship was an amazing relationship with an amazing guy. But we had both, we had been together for over four years. Everybody expected us to get married. We were living together. It was just like, we were just kind of like going through the motions. Like this is what we're supposed to be doing. So we're doing it. And once I opened up my eyes, I we had a conversation and we realized that we were more like brother and sister than we were like, you know, lovers. And so I ended that relationship or we, you know, we decided to end it together. And I can't tell you that was one step in the series of many steps that led to my eating disorder just kind of going away. It was because I took the focus off food and put it on other areas of my life, including one of the main relationships. So I'm, I'm really grateful to you for bringing up this 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 conversation um on a bigger platform because it's so easy for us to be like well how many grams of protein do i need and it's more of like well how about your relationships how are those working for you i just want to go back to what you were saying about women kind of you know always wanting to please other people and kind of you know having to be like quiet and quiet and polite and so i do i think a lot of women especially in the beginning of a relationship they you know maybe don't say what they really want because they don't want to come off as being quote unquote needy or scaring the guy off or whatever it is. But really like in the beginning of the relationship, that's when you should be the most true to who you are and say what your needs are. Because if those aren't going to be met, then why are you going to spend, you know, a month to dating, then get, you know, a year into it and then realize, oh wait, I don't even really know who this person is or this isn't what I want. So I just really want to reiterate that, that like as women, like you need to feel empowered. And honestly, 
men are going to like that. Like we talk about men wanting the quote unquote chase. They want the chase, but it's not, oh, not responding to his text for three days. It's like being really confident in who you are and having a life outside of him and, you know, letting him know that. And, but at the same time, being confident enough to also let him know what your needs are. And if a man isn't going to appreciate that and respect that, then you don't want to be with that man anyways. Well, I think that's really important. I'm not going to pretend to be like the relationship expert or like the dating expert. I've been married for, I don't know, six years. I always forget. Seven. Ugh, hopefully my husband's not listening to this. Um, but that was always, that's always been my approach to, to dating um, is that like, why am I going to try to put my best foot forward or try to change myself in any way? like you get what you get and you don't get upset like take it or leave it i do not care i don't have enough energy to like try to be somebody else and i will say that that has completely extended over into how i approach my business so i know we have a lot of practitioners that do listen to this show and it's that same vibe of like this is who i am like i i i am just unapologetically myself. I know that not a lot of people, or I shouldn't say not a lot of people, but I know some people won't vibe with me. I know some people will be like, she's a loud mouth. She swears too much. You know, she's too much, whatever. I don't care. I could spend so much of my time and my energy trying to be somebody that I think would be more palatable to the masses, or I could just show up and be myself. It's a lot more easy for me. And I think that's a, just a take home message for anybody listening, whether you're dating, whether you're running a business or just in life in general, just show up and be yourself. But hey, before you can do that, you actually have to ask the question, who am I and what do I want? So I think this was a great conversation. I'm hoping that people get some, some good takeaways from it. Jess, can you tell us a little bit more about where to find you? You have a podcast, so tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I do have a podcast. It's called The Pure Living Podcast. Um, you can find it in iTunes. And really the premise behind that is everyone has a story. So Erin was on there, so you can pop on there and listen to her interview. And yeah, just kind of getting behind the scenes, you know, pushing past this bullshit social media perfection that everyone's trying to uphold. So that's the podcast. And then um, my business, you can find me over at Jess Pure Living on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. My website is Jessica Kristen, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N.com. And yeah, I'm in a really exciting place right now where I am really bringing in this whole concept of relationships and dating into the work that I'm doing with my clients because I've just seen it as a huge need. So you'll notice just some new content coming up coming up from me. I'm going to actually be changing up my logo and name. So just kind of an exciting time for my business. So I'd love for you to, yeah, follow me over there along this ride. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. A link to all the things that she just talked about. I'll throw those links down in the show notes so you can just click on through and go check her out. She's good stuff. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much again, Erin, for having me. And yeah, I'm, I just love that there's so many of us out there spreading the right messages. And the more we do that, the more um, improvements and change we'll make. So I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you. 